Well, welcome to the Hunts Back Country podcast. This is episode number 361, and we are continuing our series with you guys, listeners of the show, in this before and after the hunt series. Today we're speaking with Dylan, and he is taking a very adventurous hunt with his father this fall to Adak Island, Alaska. If you're unfamiliar with Adak, go look it up. It is way out there off the Aleutian chain of Alaska. And as we hear about a little bit in this episode, it has a very interesting and unique history and great hunting opportunities. So Dylan shares some of the story of this hunt and the hunt planning, because to pull off a hunt like this, there's some unique challenges and logistics, both with access as well as dealing with weather and things like that. This was a very fun episode. It made me honestly excited for Dylan's hunt, and I can't wait to hear how it goes later this fall. As always, guys, wanted to remind you that if you have any questions for us for the podcast, you can send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com, or better yet, look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message. You can use whatever device you're listening to right now to leave us an audio message, and we can answer that on the future Monday Minute episode, which is our Q&A episodes. Hit pause and do that right now if you have something that comes to mind. Otherwise, here's this conversation with Dylan. All right, well, Dylan, welcome to the Hunts Back Country podcast. How are you, man? Good. How are you? Good. Appreciate it. This is... uh, I'm excited to get into this story. I feel like it's a very adventurous hunt that you guys are going to embark on. Uh, Before we get to the hunt itself, a quick introduction and then tie that to a bit of background on your hunting story. Yeah. So I grew up uh, in Northern California, still live here. Um, Grew up duck hunting primarily, also some some upland hunting, um, actually in in the Northern San Francisco Bay. I never really big game hunted until, until high school, started pig hunting a little bit. Um, a couple of years after college, decided to, to give the out-of-state elk hunt a try and ended up getting a, a cow in Colorado um, on a zero-point draw. Back then, um, kind of let it sit for a little for a couple of years and, and didn't hunt. Um, big game all that much in between then. And last year got a text from a buddy of mine asking if I wanted to go back to Colorado and really threw myself into it and started listening to a bunch of your podcasts and uh, trying to get into the backcountry thing. Um, and got a over the counter bowl um, on public lands last year. So that was, that really got me excited about the backcountry hunting thing. What season was that last year? That was second rifle. Okay. Um, so yeah, I haven't, I haven't done the bow thing yet. I've, I've missed, I don't know, five or 10 turkeys with my bow. I just <laughs> can't, tough, I can't to hold it together. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, it was second rifle um, in Southwest Colorado. Cool, man. How was, so as you said, you harvested that cow before, but I know when we were chatting even before this episode, you felt like last year was really that first kind of backcountry experience. I'm just, what are some takeaways, lessons learned, things like that from last year? Yeah. So 
last year, I think I was more, I hunted with, with three other guys. Um, and I definitely spent more time and was more intent on being in the back country than they were. Um, so I was, I was pretty comfortable the whole time. And I was the only one whose boots didn't soak through. I think there were, there was two feet of snow, give or take where we were hunting. Um, a buddy I ended up going into the back country with, he, uh, his, the side of his boots blew out. He wore cotton pants. Those froze solid. His, oh, his socks were frozen solid. <laughs> uh, his, his insulated pad got a hole in it. And so he decided <laughs> he could just take his uninsulated one and probably got about an hour of sleep. Kept waking me up, spinning around under his, his quilt that wasn't, wasn't warm enough. Yeah. Uh, so that I just got a little taste of it. Um, cause we ended up spent one night in the back country and he was, he was so damn uncomfortable that he had to go into town and buy boots. The, the third day we, we <laughs> cut our, our first little trip in short, um, obviously only a, a 10 day season, but we were planning on doing two nights in at a time and then resupplying at the truck. I love the store, the first backpacking stories that just so everything good. goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's just reality, man. There's just, uh, if you don't know what to expect, you don't know. And, and, uh, you learn really quick. Yep. Uh, especially with two feet of snow. Yep. I was, I'm probably a little bit to blame too. I mean, I was coming up from sea level, but he was driving up from Texas and I know he hadn't been doing a, a ton of training and we, and we're at, 10,000, I think up to 10 and a half or 11,000 feet and off trail the whole time doing the dark timber thing. So I, I probably pushed him a little too hard the first day <laughs> on top of having bad gear. And <laughs> what, uh, out of curiosity, what boots did you, were you wearing that didn't soak through? I was wearing some older Solomon, just winter boots. Oh, um, oh, interesting. Yeah. I forget what they're called. They're almost no structure to them they're they're super soft but they're leather and waterproof um so yeah i i think it's yeah i don't, I don't remember what they're called um, gotcha. yeah but if you just look at their winter boots it's their those ones okay how did so it sounds like you guys kind of got your butt kicked by conditions a little bit but you said it was successful so when was it in this 10-day season they actually connected with the bull so it was actually on the third day of the hunt. Um, my buddy I was in the back country with the first day ended up going into town to buy boots. So I decided I'd hunt within a, a relatively easy hike of the truck. Um, we had a little truck camp and my two other friends I was hunting with were, were hunting this smaller area kind of on the other side of the road. So I went over there with them um, on our drive in. I'd, I'd seen a, a saddle that looked pretty good, um, which was an easy hike away. So I decided to go over there and they kind of broke off and hunted the other side of the mountain. And I got started walking down this, this ridge line and just see the saddle. It, was, it looked like, like cattle had been walking through it. There were so many little potholes from, from hooves. Uh, so yeah, I just, I sat there, got there around, 10 in the morning and sat there until probably two and around two saw a couple elk heading my way. Um, I'd set up so that the edge of the clearing was about 200 yards. 
And as soon as a, a legal bowl came in, I kind of, I've never gotten buck fever or bull fever before. And this, it just shut me down. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I freaked out a little bit, but ended up getting, pulling it together enough that I could, could make a good shot and elk went about hundred yards and died on the edge of a hill and then slid another 400 yards down the hill. Wow. In the direction you were headed towards the truck, hopefully. No. (laughs) (laughs) The other side of the saddle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thankfully it wasn't too far away. And, um, there was actually a, a cell tower access road that we could get the truck relatively close. So it was, was not a super hard pack out. Um, but interesting with, with snow falling. Heck yeah, man. That's super exciting. What, um, did your buddies who were hunting the other side hear the shot and know to come? Did you have to kind of contact them for help? What did that look like just practically of, okay, I'm solo, the elk's down. Let me get the guys together and get this taken care of. Yeah. So I think one of them did hear the shot um, and thought it might've been me. There were some other people hunting our general area, uh, but being right next to a, a cell tower, I was, I was able to, to get a text out to them pretty quickly. Um, service was not an issue. So I sent them a text and they reminded me to, to hang out and, and hold on for a little bit. I couldn't see the bowl. Um, so I, I let it sit for 30, 40 minutes before I went and looked for it. Uh, just cause there was some private land ne- nearby. And I didn't want to bump it. Um, but once I, once I did that, I sent, found it, I sent them a text and they said they'd be right over. Um, and it was about an hour and a half hike from camp, maybe a little longer. So I was expecting to wait that long, but they were able to drive got right up to me, probably about half mile, quarter mile from where the, the elk was down. Wow. Um, so they were there in about 20 minutes, which was, was very convenient. Yeah. So this bit of success last year got your dad a bit more into big game. Uh, he has a background of a waterfowl hunter and you can share some more on that, but essentially this story we're telling today is a hunt that you guys will be taking this fall, you and your dad. So yeah, tie in last year's success, your dad's interest in big game and then how the beginning of this idea came together for this year's hunt. Yeah. So I've, I've talked to my dad about it over the years about, about doing some out of state hunts and, He's always been kind of wishy-washy on it, not wanting to, not wanting to spend money on the gear and I don't know, hearing, hearing other people's success rates. I'm like, yeah, not that interested. Um, but my success last year, it's like, well, he just turned sixties. Now's as good a time as any to, to do an out-of-state hunt if he's going to do one. Um, so I, I had him talked into going to Colorado but he was kind of on the fence about it. He was just, just not, not super excited. Um, and it's part of it is that it's during duck season is when, when we go out or when we'd be going out to hunt and he spends, I don't know, two to three days a week during duck season from October to January, either hunting out of his kayak, uh, in some marshes that border San Francisco and San Pablo Bay. Um, or going up, he's got a seat in a duck club in a more northern state, probably 
two hours, hour north of, of where he lives. Um, but I, I, it's kind of a funny story. I actually found, or I got a Alaska airlines credit card and it comes with 60,000 miles. And I was just looking at the different, different places where they fly their, their flight map. Sorry about that. Um, saw this little dot way out on the, the Western edge of their, their flight range, um, for ADAC Island, which I'd never heard of before. Um, but got, got into looking into it cause it, it looked like an interesting place to go and you can get there for, I think they gave me 60,000 miles and you can get there for 30,000 round trip. Um, so you can get there for free effectively and started looking into it and saw that they've got a big caribou herd that the, uh, the Navy, the Navy brought out in the fifties or sixties, um, used to be a big cold war era Navy base and something like 200,000 people out there. Uh, and there's a bunch of caribou, there's no bears. Um, there's a big ptarmigan population, some sea ducks that we don't have access to in California. Um, and some really good fishing. So I ran that by my dad and that got him perked up much more so than, than driving out to Colorado did. Um, and he is since fully invested. He's, he's doing like training runs and on his dog walks every morning, wearing a pack with, with weight in it and, um, been buying gear faster than I've ever seen him buy gear before. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's really invested awesome. really into it now. What's the uh, caribou hunting going to look like up there? As far as um, you just hunting from a road system. I, I'm not sure exactly how that works. So they actually fly out into the middle of the Island. And- so there's, because it used to be a base, there's a, a really big airport there. Um, so we're just, we're flying into the, the main town, the little town of ADAC. I think there's 60 people live there now, but we rented a, a truck for the entire week that we're there. Um, and we've got a, a house the last, I think three days. So our plan is to drive to the end of the road system, which really doesn't go that far from, from town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then start hiking South, uh, mm, okay. up to I've, I've identified a couple of cabins, um, on Onyx that are and the closest one is a 10 mile hike. So if we can, make it there and actually get our stuff back or get get an animal back that would be a big feat because there's there's no trails it's fairly rugged terrain um but from everything i've read the animals start they they hang out in the the southern part of the island during the the summer um and then in the the fall and winter they transition up to the northern part so we shouldn't have to hike quite as far and what time of year are you going we're going early november so those cabins, um, yeah, as you said, so like just, I'm not like an expert on ADAC, but as you mentioned, just for context for listeners, like it was a populated area for initially World War II. And then as you said, the Cold War, and it was, you know, uh, important strategically at that point in time but when the Cold War stopped, like basically every, everybody left. There's all these old buildings, old infrastructure, old bases. Um, I think there's still parts of the island that you're not supposed to go on because there's unexploded ordinance, which is like really interesting. Um, 
but so those cabins there are those something you need to like reserve or is it hey there's nobody out here there's a structure it's like a get there and it's yours type thing just use it yeah as as far as i understand it's just get there and if it's if it's empty you can use it um so there's some some cabins that i believe they were built kind of as hunting cabins um and then there's also a series of bunkers all throughout the island that some are in uh worse shape than other ones and there are rats on the island so we're yeah (laughs) we may end up just just pitching a tent in the um in the doorway to to beat the wind um because that's the we're, we're planning on spending the most of our time in tents but the wind can be pretty, pretty strong on ADAC from what I've read Yeah, uh, up to watching something where these guys were in wind that was in 70 to 90 miles an hour. Um, I think all their tents collapsed. So that wow. if, if that comes up, then we'll probably be heading for, for a bunker or something like that. Uh-huh. What uh, tent have you picked to withstand that type of stuff? Uh, so I, I think we're going to get, um, shoot. What's that? What's it's that the, that European brand that you guys talk about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. It's my, my dad's been chopping those. Um, I think he's going to get the, the two person, um, uh, it's, it's something like five or six pounds. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully. Yeah. That's, uh, one of the areas you don't want to mess with them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's either that or some serious mountaineering type of stuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that too, I would either, um, I know if some of those models had the extended vestibule, um, I would consider that, or if not potentially going to a three person, uh, model just in case, you know, ADAC is known for some nasty weather just so that you have, yes, like a two man tent to sleep in, but some extra room for your gear and all that, especially if you're going to be out there kind of self-supported, at least for those first few days, having some, some space to deal with those conditions or potentially live in that tent for right. a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe a deck of cards too. Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> man, well, that's cool. So I'm the packing in those first you said like four days that I'm assuming is primarily to pursue caribou. And then you have the latter few days with the house rented is the plan then to not only take care of the caribou meat that you may have, but also do some fishing and sea duck hunting and things like that at that later end of the trip. Yeah, exactly. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get a couple caribou down in those first four days and then not have to pack them all that far. Um, and the, the house we rented has, it's got a vacuum packer and chest freezers um, and garage space for processing stuff. So uh, hopefully we can get that set dealt with and then have at least a couple of days to, um, to do some duck hunting and, and fishing. Our plan is to bring out, we only want to bring one rifle case. Um, so we're going to bring one, one rifle and one shotgun mm. on the assumption that if everything goes wrong with the rifle, we'll bring a couple slugs or hopefully borrow a rifle from someone in town. Um, 
but I haven't, I haven't tried yet to see if we could fit three, three guns in the, in the gun case. Um, but I'm, I'm not registered as a known shipper with, with Alaska air yet. Um, been looking into that. So if, if I can do that in time and get that all dealt with, then, then I, we might bring another gun case or something, but yeah. trying to keep it to the two. Gotcha. Yeah. The logistics on renting that house and the car, how did you put that together? Is that pretty easy? I'm assuming there's not like a, a giant inventory and, you know, <laughs> there's probably not like an enterprise rent a car terminal at the airport there at ADAC. Was that all like through private party stuff? Yeah. So as, as far as I know, there's only one guy renting houses. There's a couple little outfitters on the island. Um, I've actually got in contact with a guy through Airbnb. So he's got, if you go on Airbnb and type in ADAC, I think every single house on there is owned by this guy, Steve, who's a, I believe he's a retired firefighter from San Diego who moved up there and has kind of embraced the lifestyle. Um, and he has a bunch of trucks, which I'm assuming are either surplus from the military or, um, from the, there's some private contractors who are cleaning up the unexploded ordinance on the Northern part of the Island. Um, so he, I emailed him and got hooked up and sent him some money. And now we're, yeah, gave us, gave us the truck for a week and is picking us up at the airport. So you get the truck and the house through him essentially. Yep. He gives you a, a discount on the truck. If you rent, rent a house from him too. So yeah, little savings there. What are some of the questions that you've had or that, you know, that you've had to research or maybe your dad's been asking you that we haven't covered just on planning this? I mean, it's a, such a unique thing. There is some information out there, not necessarily a ton, but it's a big, it's a big leap. It's different than going to Colorado for elk, right? You're going way out in the Aleutian chain and dealing with weather and different species and all that. So just what, what's some of the other things you've had to figure out or honestly still figuring out? Yeah. So, so still in the figuring it out stage um, from the stuff that I've found, it's, I mean, it's an Island and there's not, there's a, a little migration, but not a huge migration. So the animals I don't think are that hard to find, um, which, which is good for, for us given <laughs> being our first trip up there. Um, I just, I just upgraded my Onyx, um, and started looking around and one of the major limitations is they don't really have anything that, um, the satellite maps are really good, but there's, there's no trails marked. There's really no, like, I don't know, structure marked on, on those maps. So I've been able to find a couple of the cabins just by, by reading some other articles and then zooming in and kind of scrolling around and trying to find them. Um, but yeah, there's aside from people writing up just to go South and, and find caribou, there's not a ton of information. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I'm trying to figure out more about what the hiking is like there. I've seen some videos where people are, they're up to their knees and in, in grass and then other ones where it looks like it's, it's pretty low kind of subalpine stuff. Um, so if it's, if it's up to our knees in grass, we're definitely not hiking 10 miles. 
Um, yeah. So yeah. Still, still trying to figure that out. Yeah. That uh, Tundra stuff can be pretty brutal. <laughs> yep. I don't know if it's like that there, but where we're at up uh, in Northern Alaska, it's, it's uh, 10 miles of that with an animal is, is no easy feat. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you pack out in that or were you dragging? Well, pack out for sure. You wouldn't be able to drag. Yeah. Okay. No way. Yeah. There's so much water and uneven yeah, water and, and uh, yeah. Unevenness to the ground. It's, it's, okay. um, it's brutal. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, we've started our pack training um, where, where my dad lives. He's got some Hills. I live in, in the Valley. Um, so it's uh, the most elevation I can get as uh, I hiked four and a half miles the other day. And it was like, I think I got 60 feet. Oh, oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I got to drive at least half an hour, 45 minutes to go find some Hills. So I've been, been trying to, to go heavier lately on my morning dog walks um, to make up for the fact that there are no hills here. Hmm. So do you plan to uh, run those same Salomon boots for this hunt? Um, no, I've actually been shopping boots. I just got a pair of uh, Salewa mm-hmm. uh, approach trail running shoes, which fit my feet really well. So I've been looking at their boots um, I don't know if you have any experience with those, but they look like, I don't know, like, like they would work for, for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they make good boots for sure. I think I had mountain trainer light I bought last year and, and, um, yeah, they're solid. I didn't, um, they're a little bit too wide in the toe box for me, but that was just my foot, but it's really good shoe. Cool. Yeah. I'm hoping they fit somewhat similar to the, I have the, the wildfire um, shoes, which mm. I've been using for, for all my pack training recently. Um, and they've been super comfy right out of the box. So sweet. Open it translates. Um, I'm assuming you're looking strongly at rain gear, gaiters, all that stuff for the conditions up there. Yeah. Um, so I've got some, some packable, um, Badlands rain pants, which I've only, used, I brought to Colorado. I bought them for Colorado because it was supposed to snow on us. I've um, never used them out there, but used them for the first time the other day. And they work pretty well. I don't know if they're heavy enough for what we're doing. Um, there's, there's not a lot of that. Uh, I mean, it's all, it's all just grass. So there's, there's nothing that's going to tear them up. I don't think unless I've, kneel down on rocks and take mm-hmm. a tumble or something like that. So I don't, I don't know how tough they have to be other than just, they have to be very waterproof. Um, I looked, I was looking at the weather and it rains in average, something like 25 days a month. And in, in November, um, not always a lot of rain, but kind of mm-hmm. that consistent Pacific Northwest drizzle. Yeah. How about temps? Are they pretty mild in November? Yeah. Um, luckily ADAC is, is pretty far South. So it's on par with like British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has that, that Marine influence. So it's, it's not that cold. Um, I think thirties is, is what we're looking at. So there's mixed, mixed snow and rain, uh, but, but no, no hard freezes or, any really cold temperatures that we got to deal with. 
yeah cold wet wind it'll be it'll be yep. glorious man i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah it should be should be pretty miserable for a couple of days <laughs> yeah i guess like i don't know is um like when i hear waterfall hunters in my context like coming from the midwest like it's terrible it's often as cold and wet and terrible but what is that like for your dad in california uh does he have those experiences or it stays pretty mild for that yeah so it's um it's generally pretty mild for us early in the season where the season opens in october and we're usually in t-shirts on opener and we're spot we hunt we kayak into so you can you can get pretty sweaty just getting in there um more sunscreen than than layers yeah Uh, but up in the the northern parts of the state it can get i mean not midwest cold but we've had some days where uh, hunting up at tule lake which is right at the the border of uh, california and oregon you can get get snowed on there can be the the water can freeze up um uh, the coldest hunt I've ever had was was hunting at Tule Lake where it was freezing rain that turned to snow and everything I was wearing soaked through and then it started freezing and I my hands stopped working. So I I could get I could get one shell in my gun um, and I could take one shot. But once I took a shot, I didn't have enough grip strength in my left hand to put another put another round in. I was uh, shooting a pump gun at the time. So I'd have to put my, put my gun between my knees and use both hands to pull back the the action and put in another shell. Um, so that's, that's about as cold as we've dealt with. That's yeah. none of the, the sub zero stuff, but cold enough. What do you anticipate, um, for strategy and even gear for that matter on glassing. So I'm not sure, you know, how that country is. And I know it's a bit variable in pockets. Like there are some more, you know, calm mountains, but do you anticipate having good vantage points to glass away? or is the areas you're looking at getting into a little bit like flatter and broken where it may not be as effective? Um, I'm not sure what that looks like. Yeah. So from what I've found on maps, it looks like there's um, some decent, topography to get up and get a good vantage point in the areas that we're going to. Um, I, I, last year on my hunt, I, I just had a pair of, a uh, little loophole eight by 25s. Um, and I upgraded the end of last year to got the Athlon Cronus G2, um, 10 by 42s. So that's what I'm, planning on bringing not bringing a, a spotting scope um not super concerned about trophy potential so as long as there's animals that we can go pursue um i don't think we'll be be far enough away that we're we're second guessing what we're looking at mm-hmm. is, uh, is this uh bull only or bull and cow it's bull and cow so bull and cow. oh sweet we're okay yeah we're gonna be looking for bulls for the first two days and if we're not seeing anything, then we'll probably start shifting our focus so that we at least bring home some meat. Yeah. I think it is it ADAC. That's the, like no bag limit on cows, maybe even. Right. There's, there's no season and no bag limit on cows. Yeah. Really? Um, wow. And then just, just over the counter tax. And then, so like in the areas we hunted in Alaska, um, 
you know, you had to take out ribs completely and all that. Have you looked into the specific um, rules for game processing use and transport? Um, a little bit. I, I'm not sure exactly what the wanton waste laws are for Alaska. It's something I to research more. Um, I was, I was mostly looking at the, cause Alaska publishes the weight on what they think you should be taking out, mm. um, to get an idea of how far we want to pack stuff out. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent certain as to, as to what the specifics are for ADAC. My guess yeah. is that it's a little bit less strict, um, given that there's, there's been some contention on how they manage the herd, uh, just because they're, they're an introduced species there. So, um, I think it was U S fish and wildlife service wanted to reduce the numbers. And there was some pushback from locals a couple of years ago. So my guess is that it's not quite as strict. Yeah. But we do, we plan on taking out as, as much as we can. Um, and depending on how, how far out we are, um, I'd like to bring, bring the hide out to the gorgeous um, hides. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> gorgeous hides. Yeah. Yeah, definitely look into that. Um, you know, it's just Alaska's can be very particular on how things have to be done and shoot even the order. Like, uh, I know when we were hunting, they specify that antlers have to come out with the last load of meat, for example. Um, so yeah, the regulations can be pretty specific. Um, but at the same time, not all of those regulations, as you said, are statewide. So things with, uh, the ADAC, whatever region or unit that falls under maybe look a little bit different. Yeah, it's that's on the list to to do some more investigating. Yeah, sure. That's cool, man. It's um, that's a big adventure. I'm I'm really excited to hear how this goes <laughs> for you guys. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh I'm looking forward to it. I think I guess we a lot of fun and just I mean, aside from the the caribou hunting, the the duck hunting looks pretty amazing, and just these weird species, these like like Harlequin ducks and um, these Siberian teal, all kinds of weird stuff that we don't get down here um, <laughs> and, and the ptarmigan. So yeah, I'm hoping we can, we can make some kind of bush meat to supplement mountain house while we're out there. Right on, man. On the duck and on the duck hunting, do you line up some decoys? Or you just sit on the edge of the bank and hope they fly by. Um. So I, ideally we'd have decoys. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to the guy that we booked the house through and see if he has, yeah. has anything we might be able to borrow. Um, the pressure's obviously pretty low up there. So I'm, I'm guessing we could get some pass shooting if, yeah. if we just went and sat down on the, on the shoreline. Um, and then we of course don't have a, a boat or a dog. So we're bringing some treble hooks to try and, snag stuff if it's out in the water and we we can't wait out to it yeah huh, that's cool, cool man i'm excited to hear how this goes for you guys um any other just kind of like final words on what because to me and i know this hasn't happened yet right so like but what is this already like the planning this experience with your dad, the potential of it kind of like, what does that mean to you? Like, where's your head at with playing? Is it just pure excitement to do this with him or is it trepidation? Are you nervous about him and the possibilities and uh, just kind of mindset going into it? So he's, 
I, I'm not nervous about him. Other, he did just he just injured his his knee actually training. I think two days ago, uh, but he's starting PT for that. And he said he should be back in about a month. He's done the the same MCL injury before, um, but he's. Well, I grew up uh, mountain bike racing, and I, he usually beats me. He's he gets home from work at two or three in the afternoon and trains regardless of the season. And so he's, he's a pretty good athlete and I'm not worried about him on the hunt. Um, and he gets, he gets like me where he just gets obsessive about once, once there's a goal kind of looks at it and can't let it go. So not, not worried about him on the hunt. Um, other than, I don't know if there's potential for some sort of freak injury, like, like his knee or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, just, just excited and, and in the training phase. So trying to yeah. start early with, with getting in, in good shape and hopefully not be limited by, by our bodies while we're out there. It's going to be good, man. We'll have to, uh, after this, see if we get you and your dad on together, I'm sure there's gonna be a lots of laughs and, and stories <laughs> coming out of this one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It sounds good. We appreciate you taking the time to uh, share this. And again, can't wait to talk to you later this year and hear how this all goes. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, it is going to be fun to hear how this trip goes for Dylan and his father. A great adventure. Be sure that you tune in later this fall as we tell the story of how the hunt went, the lessons learned, and more. Speaking of that, if you don't already receive episodes from us automatically it's really simple and obviously free whatever podcast app you'd like to use whether that's apple or google spotify stitcher there's so many out there just hit subscribe or follow and you'll receive future episodes automatically and once again if you have anything for us you can contact us by email to podcast at exomountaingear.com also there's that link in the show description to leave us a message for a future q a episode appreciate you guys tuning in We'll talk to you soon.